Welcome into the lounge presented by DraftKings. Garrett and I are going to break down the film from the Ravens' big 56-19 win over the Dolphins. I have to keep going back and looking up the score because it's such a ridiculous score. And it was a score gami. I was just going to say, did you know it was a score gami? I did. Uh, that it's it's like hard for me to remember what it was. 56-19. to 19. Yeah, it doesn't really roll off the tongue, but I, I like it. I'm a big fan yeah. of it. If the Ravens are on the, the, the top end of that score. Score gami, by the way, if you don't know, that's if a score has never happened in the NFL before. So that 56-19 to 19 win was the first time in NFL history that that has been the final score of a game. And this is the second score gami the Ravens have had yes. this year. So pretty crazy. Good vibes. Good if vibes. you're getting multiple score gamis in one season, that you know it's a good year. <laughs> exactly. So we're going to break down the tape, and then we're also going to dive into who the Ravens might play and who they might sit and rest for the game against the Steelers Saturday at M&T Bank Stadium in a game that obviously has taken on different implications, different stakes for the Ravens now that they've clinched the AFC North and the number one seed. So, Garrett, let's start out here with what went right against the Dolphins. A lot went right. Uh, But you got a first point to Lamar Jackson. I think that's a starting point, right? Yeah, exactly. Five touchdowns, locked up the MVP race. I think that's a good starting point to discuss what went right. And, And here's the thing is, those who were still, even after the 49ers game, when a bunch of us felt like he'd locked up the MVP. There are still people going back and saying, well, the, the passing stats just aren't there. Yeah. And the rushing stats aren't there compared to his 2019 MVP season. What are we missing here? And Lamar Jackson said, well, this is what you weren't seeing. <laughs> yeah. right? Here it is. I'll put it on a silver platter for you all in one game so you don't have to go back and watch all the film and actually watch the games that the Ravens played this year to appreciate the greatness of Lamar Jackson. I'll put it on one plate for you. Yeah. And he did that in this game. I, I know. He, he really did. I, I do think, I know I said after the game in that podcast that I thought that it might be a unanimous MVP. As I thought about it more, I think it. I think it will be. I think it's going to be a second unanimous. Just does, does Richard Sherman have a vote? Because if he does, it's if not. He, going if Richard to Sherman has a vote, then it will not be unanimous. <laughs> but I think that. I don't think it will be. I, I think that Lamar obviously showed just incredible command of the passing game, and I love the way that he's spreading it around. I just think that like that is one of the things I think he's always done well, and I think it's gone to another level this year. Part of that is that he has more weapons than ever, mm-hmm. but his ability to spread the ball around, I think is, to me, is part of the beauty of this offense and what makes the Ravens so hard to defend because it's not just stop Mark Andrews and then and then they're going to have a tough time moving the ball. It mm-hmm. could be a different guy every single week, and we saw that on Sunday. Yeah, I want to I point to Lamar's decision-making as being a big part of this game, and you saw him in complete control. One, a, a ridiculous throw on the Odell Beckham Jr. play, and you see him before that snap, you see him communicating out to what looks to be Odell. He's communicating out to his wide receivers, recognizing what the Dolphins were planning on doing, and I think Lamar's film study has been excellent this year, and uh-huh. you, you see that playing out. And on that throw, you also see another component of his game that has really taken a step forward, and that is his pocket mobility. We're not talking about mobility outside the pocket, which he's had a lot of. Outside the pocket, extending plays that way with his legs and making plays. This game, you saw it within the pocket. And on that specific play, his ability to climb the pocket, move up, and then make that throw on one leg. Uh Let's keep in mind, that was the most improbable completion of his entire career. At 13.3%, that was the percent chances of completing that ball, and he threw it on one leg down the sideline, dropped it in a bucket to Odell Beckham Jr. Fantastic catch. Yeah. 
but it was also a fantastic throw. Yeah, both ends of that were great. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I always felt like like mobility is a word that can take on a lot of different meanings, to your point. Mm-hmm. Like someone who always had great in-the-pocket mobility that it wasn't really discussed in the same way is like Tom Brady to me. Tom Brady's ability to maneuver, step <laughs> yeah. up in the pocket, yeah. and extend a play. Obviously without, not nearly the athlete that no, Lamar it's not, is, but right. he could But he, he could had this great time. feel. He had this great feel in the pocket. In that, like even you think about Ben Roethlisberger shrugging off tacklers, and like that's that was different. That's different. That's different. Like this ability to step up at the right time, find a soft spot if you can maneuver a throw, even if it's on one leg. Brady was as good as anybody ever at doing that. Mm-hmm. And I think that Lamar has taken his ability in that regard to another level this year. It's not just like, all right, roll outside the pocket, make a guy miss, crazy juke move, look down the field, throw a, throw a pass that's like, you know, up for grabs. No, this is like much more procedural and methodical than he has surgical. been. Surgical. Surgical. Any of those were, yeah. <laughs> he, he's doing that at a better better than he has at any point in his career. Yeah, I would agree with that. Another touchdown that I want to point to is the first one to Justice Hill. And earlier on that drive, they had run that same route. It's a rail route with kind of a pick set on the outside to a degree. It's almost like a, a rub route. Well, they, they, call, they, call it a, exactly. they called a pick and earlier on it, that exactly. drive. And then just, Justice goes up the sideline. And they called, they called a, a legal pick on um, Isaiah Likely the first time. The second time... It wasn't Isaiah running that. It was Rashad Bateman, legal, hit it over the top. But what's really interesting about that is Lamar's diagnosis of the Dolphins. Pre-snap on the first one, they were two safeties high. And he had to make sure that that one safety, he could easily pick off that play. He had to, Once he saw him come down in the box, then he, Lamar took the shot over the top. The second time around, the Dolphins were single high safety, only one safety up top. Lamar knew before the snap, I've got this. And John Harbaugh even said there was communication between Lamar and Justice about the Dolphins' pre-snap looks to open up that second touchdown. So just the diagnosis on Lamar's end and the communication on his end to double dip on that drive. You're, you're basically the same play, two different slight looks, and to hit the touchdown was pretty cool. Yeah, and what what's your take? Do you think that's just more film study, more of being a mature player and understanding and seeing a lot more that had, over the course of your career? Like, what is what I'm trying to figure out is what has allowed Lamar this year to basically diagnose those things that I think he has better than he has at any point in his career. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's sheer amount of film study or whether – T. Martin and his coaches and Todd Munkin are helping him see things better uh-huh. than previously, breaking it down in a more clear way. I'm not sure. I can definitely say that Lamar Jackson is locked in. I think that there is a different level of focus this year that his teammates talk about. Um, I don't know how that translates to his preparation necessarily, yeah. but I just think it's one part of this more robust passing attack and one way that Lamar has certainly elevated his game as a passer because he's always had the arm talent. He, he's had a special arm since he entered the NFL. Becoming more accurate with the fundamentals and all that, those things has been key. Uh-huh. And, and I think making better decisions, it's also empowering him more. Todd Munkin, that was a big part of Todd Munkin's whole philosophy here and the, the scheme that he ushered in. The intention was to empower Lamar Jackson to make those reads, make those checks, make those communications with his receivers, and that's what you're seeing on that play. And Lamar clearly likes it. He's talked about that over the course of the entire season. I also think it's it's kind of interesting. 
I've always felt like Lamar has seized the field well, especially the middle of the field, and I think that's part of the reason that him and Andrews have, over the course of their careers, been been such a great pair. I've always felt like he has seen the field well, but I think that like what is gone to the next level this year is seeing the field well and then also kind of diagnosing what that means for the progression of the passing game. And so like he can hit that play outside to Justice Hill or he can work, work his way through his progressions. We've seen that plenty of times. Mm. Like on the, uh, you know, the Isaiah Likely fourth and seven, you know, mm. that was obviously a key turning point in this game. And Isaiah talked about that after the game and, and basically saying Lamar diagnosed that it was man coverage. And Isaiah didn't necessarily think he was going to be getting the ball on that play, mm-hmm. but he just... As that played out, he, he basically turned his head and it was right there. But he said that Lamar's ability to diagnose that play is really what allowed that him to be in position to make that play. Now, he's probably selling himself short a little bit because you make a great catch and run like that. Credit to Isaiah. But I, I just think that the the seeing the field and then translating that to how, that, how he diagnoses the progression of the passing game is where I've seen him take a, a giant leap this year. And that was another special Lamar Jackson throw. A, he bought himself a little bit of extra time to because those were longer developing routes to let Isaiah likely get open, in air quotes. <laughs> he wasn't very open. Lamar basically had to make the perfect throw, and he did, despite literally a guy hitting him. It was a delayed blitz by the Dolphins. He's getting hit in the knee, in the right knee, as he makes that throw. Mm-hmm. There are not many quarterbacks, you can count them on one hand, who can make that throw and put it in the exact perfect perfect spot. If that throw is a little bit behind Isaiah Likely, it's probably a pick six. Uh-huh. On fourth down, those stakes to make that throw, it, that one was a special one. You look at the four other passing touchdowns, and a lot of those were schemed open. Receivers with more than four yards of separation at the time that they caught the ball, Right. That one was not to Isaiah <laughs> yeah. Likely. That was that was a very special throw by Lamar. Last thing I want to talk about with him is just his blitz pickup uh-huh. and recognition and getting the ball out of his hands. We all remember a couple years ago that game down in Miami where the Dolphins blitzed the living snot out of the Ravens, and it caused all kinds of problems. This game, one play in particular, is a 14-yard completion for Rashad Bateman. They bring the blitz. Lamar immediately sees it. They, the Ravens have an easy, quick solution, quick answer to the blitz. Dump it off to Rashad Bateman. Easy throw, 14 yards. Boom. That's what you want. Yep. That's exactly what you want. And I, I think another example of the the improvements the Ravens have made in the passing game. Yeah, totally. And and I think that like I was happy to see Bateman get going a little bit, you know, especially like early in this game, the first pass, you know, you're thinking, okay, this could be a touchdown. Okay. It's not going to be a touchdown, but it's going to be a big game. Ah, no, it's neither of those things. And now you're backed up. Yeah. Like I, I thought, you know, it's been, it's been a challenging career so far for Bateman. And I thought that like seeing him come back from that play and, and, you know, I know we're talking about Lamar here, but I just think seeing Bateman come back from that and then, come up with some big catches to move the chains. I was encouraged by by that from Bateman. And I think that's when you going back to my point about like the different playmakers on this offense and how it can be a different guy. Like as you go into the playoffs, you just need everybody to to step up. And like mm-hmm. that's that is what when you look at teams that have won Super Bowls, that is like the story of them. Like we talked you know, when Sammy Watkins was here, Sammy Watkins had big moments for the Chiefs. I was Chiefs. just thinking about Sammy. Playoff Sammy. Play, Nelson Aguilar for the Eagles had a great playoff run mm-hmm. during, during that Eagles run hey, to the I Super Bowl. I know that guy. Maybe he can do that again. Exactly. Think? So I think that, like, it can be a different guy. So, like, could Rashad Bateman be a, come up with a huge game in the playoffs? I totally believe he could. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Going back to what I was talking about before, the, Todd Munkin 
really out schemed Vic Fangio and the Dolphins. I mean, Munkin was on fire. Yeah. And when you do look at those touch four of those touchdowns, they're pretty open throws for Lamar Jackson. That's not taking anything away from Lamar, but giving Todd his props. And what stood out to me on a couple were just that very similar plays. Todd Munkin was double dipping. He wanted two scoops of ice cream. <laughs> and, and just different personnel, but slightly different variations on them. And one to Isaiah likely Basically, he starts blocking as a tight end off the line and releases out into the flats, misdirection, wide open, literally strutted, strolled, whatever you want to call it, into the end zone. Mm-hmm. And then they came back to it again with Pat Ricard. Uh-huh. Just a different formation, slightly different blocking scheme. Pat Ricard leaks out, one-handed catch in the end zone. Same thing earlier in the game. Uh, you saw that they double-dipped on the Justice Hill plays. Say, Justice Hill plays. Same drive. Those were like separated by a few plays. Exactly. And so to go back to it again with slight tweaks, I thought was really... It's almost Ty Munkin showing off to me. Yeah. Well, he was then showing off when he got down to the bench after the end of the game. <laughs> you know, like you when you gave... did you? I know we're, I'm jumping ahead. We're not going to do it right now, but you, when you give out the dog of the week, has Munkin won the dog of the week? Yeah. He was okay. up, in the, up in the booth. Okay. The, the, I was going to say, the doghouse. The yeah, dog up in the booth who he was shamed up in the booth. Well, he broke out of the doghouse. Okay. He broke <laughs> he out of the doghouse and made his way down to the field. Yep. Uh, another thing, talking about defensive... Uh, or talking about coaches... Mike McDonald and the adjustments that the Ravens made, I thought, was really paramount in this game. The Dolphins marched down the field. Opening drive, really their first two drives, they moved the ball. They could have had touchdowns if Tyreek Hill doesn't drop one mm-hmm. in the end zone. They have touchdowns on back-to-back drives to start yeah. this game. And then you really saw the Ravens adjust. A, Mike McDonald did not bring any five-man pressures at all in the second half. At all their blitz rate was one of the lowest blitz rates of the year for the Ravens. Basically they said two is getting the ball out of his hands. All this misdirection stuff. They're throwing a bunch of screens. We're not, we're not going to just run extra players out of here. They also, I think the players made the right adjustments. Roquan Smith, the first couple of drives, it was, he was kind of in no man's land from a pass coverage standpoint. Then you saw him getting deeper drops, dropping to the right spot, and he said specifically on his interception, that was a play that the Dolphins had beaten them on mm-hmm. on the first drive of the game. Tyreek Hill caught one for 14 yards behind him. Rogue was close, but he was just a step too slow and to whip that pass by him. Next time, he took off. He diagnosed it immediately, took off to his right, one hand out makes a one handed pick. So the adjustments that you're seeing the Ravens make defensively, I think is a really good sign and, and a sign that of how difficult this team is going to be to beat. I, I, I give Mike McDonald and the defensive coaches a ton of credit for not in just this game, but over the course of the season, their in-game adjustments, I think, are really, really strong. Like, go back to the Rams game. In the Rams game, the Rams marched down the field primarily with a rushing attack and mm-hmm. on the opening drive. Like, we've yep. seen this at times where it's like, all of a sudden, it's the first drive, and it's like, man, what, where's the defense? Is the defense going to show up today? What's right. going on here? Uh, don't like this, especially when you're going up against Miami that's put up 70 totally. uh, in a game this year. So you're like, uh-oh. And, but... McDonald and the defensive coaches and the players, to your point, I think do a great job of diagnosing it, settling in, and then making adjustments over the course of the game. I, I think 
Mike's as good as anybody in the NFL at that. Yeah, and to me, that's, like I said, that's going to make the Ravens really difficult to beat in the playoffs, right? When, sure, maybe you've got something going right, but if they can continue to do that, diagnose, and, that, and that's a credit just beyond Mike. It's to the other assistant coaches as well on his staff. Sure. If you're able to really break down what the opponent's doing well and counter that, I just don't see teams being able to run away from the Ravens. Yeah, like Miami's, they had all the top offensive numbers coming into this game. I, I, I don't think that, like, to your point, there, I, I don't see the Ravens allowing a team to march up and down on them the entire game. Like, they they may right. have drives. Miami had drives, or especially early in this game. But I don't see teams being able to have sustained sustain success against this defense for the course of 60 minutes. I just, that hasn't happened all year, and I don't think it's going to start now. Even even though you're going to be playing great teams in the playoffs, well, guess what? The Ravens played a great team in Miami. They played a great team in San Francisco. Played a really good team against the Rams. Like, they played a good team against Jacksonville. Yep. And I, I just don't see there being any team that can march up and down on this defense. It, it, credit to Ken McCusick for this. Uh, check him out at, at Film Study Ravens. The Ravens did not blitz any times off the ball in the second half. They did not call any stunts. They did not employ any simulated pressure. In the second half, the Miami Dolphins had 43 yards and 3.1 yards per play. Mm-hmm. That, that's impressive. You it hold is. the Miami Dolphins at 43 yards and a half? Yep. Sheesh. Yep. Yeah, it's crazy. Well done. Very well done. Um, I think also we should give special teams some credit here. I mean, we're yeah. talking offense and defense, but let's not overlook special teams too because it was a good day on the special teams unit, and that return by Justice Hill coming out of halftime. 78 yards. 78 yards. I thought really like kind of was was a tone setter going into that second half. It's it's like we're not done. Yeah, like oh, <laughs> first half was great. We ain't done. F- f- pedal to the metal. We're going to keep this thing rolling. Yep. That was actually, the Ravens now have three returns this year of 70-plus yards. Three different players. Mm. Tylen Wallace, Justice Hill, and Devin Duvernay have three returns of 70-plus yards. So credit to uh, the Ravens special teams coaches for you know ha- doing a great job there and those players for making the plays. And John Harbaugh said on that specific Justice Hill kickoff return that they'd been practicing that one for about six weeks, and it was a counter. So basically they sold it to the right. Tylen Wallace, speaking of, was a key blocker on that play. Sold it to the right, and then last minute, <laughs> left turn, and we're going out the left side. They've been working on that one, setting it up for a little while and break it out against the Dolphins in a big moment in a big game yeah it was huge it was um you know it was interesting too like for for years especially especially the last few years when you talk about special teams like it justin tucker is who you think of right it's like okay best kicker in the game maybe the best mm-hmm. best ever this year the return game has really been one that's come up with these big plays and like well i mean they've had good devin duvernay has been a pro bowl returner the past been. two he years been. so i'm not going to sit here and say the return game hasn't been good really to me the bigger story there is Honestly, the special teams unit was kind of struggling the first half of the mm-hmm. year, especially giving up returns. They gave up a punt return for a touchdown. Uh, they had blocks. Pittsburgh got a punt block yeah. on them. Yeah. They had multiple kicks, extra point blocked, field goal attempts blocked. There were splash plays in the negative direction against yeah. them, and now they're making splash plays in the positive direction. Yeah. That's what we're more used to seeing from the Ravens special teams. And, and when you get into playoff games, like when it's going to be close – Special teams can turn out to be the difference. Absolutely. I mean, that's what that was the difference against the Rams, and like there, there that could be the difference maker in postseason games. And if you have a good return group and you have the best kicker in football, 
that's a pretty good recipe. Completely agree. Just a couple more plays that I want to point out here in our film breakdown. Justice Hill on the third and 16 conversion to, on the Ravens' first drive of the game was a massive play, and, and Next Gen Stats sums it up. That play, which you don't usually see a, a play in the first quarter on the first drive impacting a game in this way, him converting on third and 16 increased the Ravens' chances of winning by 6.6%. That's crazy. On the first drive for the Ravens of the game. Wow. I mean, what a play. That's some momentum percentage points right there. Yeah. And and uh, the crazy part of watching that back, and Ray Rice was in the building. He was honored as the Ravens' legend of the game. You put that side by side. Go to my Twitter my Twitter uh. profile at Ryan Mink to check it out. Or, or read... Raven's Eye View to check it out. You put Hey Diddle Diddle, 4th and 29, next to that that uh, 3rd and 16 conversion by Justice Hill, and they're mirror images of each other. Very similar. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Except Eric Weddle wasn't on the receiving end of a Bolden block. <laughs> that, that was the one difference. Odell, <laughs> uh, OBJ would have been the guy, and he could have taken that shot, but he wisely did not because, A, that block was probably illegal by uh, Anquan Bolton at the time. <laughs> he had a definitely today, a He might have been ejected yeah. in today's game. Yes, so totally. OBJ wisely did not take that shot. Yeah, totally. Um, another guy who I think is worth pointing out is somebody who we haven't talked about much during the, the season, but we spent a lot of time talking about him in training camp in the offseason, is Ben Cleveland. He stepped mm-hmm. in at right guard mm-hmm. with Kevin Zeitler out, and he played a good game. And I thought that, like, this is a guy who's – you know, been criticized a little bit and, you know, came in with as a third-round pick with some kind of big expectations. You look at him, he's a mountain of a man, and you think mm-hmm. that this guy's going to be a, you know, a stud blocker, and he hasn't cracked the starting lineup yet. But he stepped into the starting lineup on Sunday and played at a very high level. Yeah, I think that he, he played particularly well as a pass blocker. He also, when you, you would need to dive into the tape, didn't have a whole lot of one-on-one opportunities. The Ravens uh, used Tyler Linderbaum to kind of help him a lot. Um, but... I thought a very strong performance for Ben Cleveland. You know, really, he's been good as an extra blocker yeah. f- the whole year. This is a big difference. You're stepping into Kevin Zeitler's spot as a full-time. He played 100% of the snaps. Very different. I thought the Ravens did a good job of giving him some help because this that's a tough uh, Dolphins defensive line. It, it, nothing to yeah. sneeze at there. Very good. And so... Uh, they they did a good job, I think, giving him some help. Yep, and then I also think you got to on a on a day where Tyree Kill doesn't crack a hundred yards, which has not happened very much for him. And this on season. a day when a starting cornerback Brandon Stevens is out, Kyle Hamilton, arguably your best. I don't even player. know if it's an argument. I don't even know if it's an argument. Your best player in the secondary for sure uh, is out, and Marlon Humphrey goes out early in in the first half. On a day like that, for Arthur Millette, Ronald Darby to step up the way they did, definitely deserve shout-outs. Arthur Millette, I thought, showed in particular really good around the line of scrimmage, um, really good in, in against the run, but also broke up a third down pass intended for Tyreek. Uh-huh. I thought was they were really good. Yeah, that was that was huge. I, I just think that like if you were to were to say going into the game, you know, a week or two ago. You're not going to have Hamilton, Marlin, for the most part, Brandon Stevens. How do you think you're going to fare against this Miami offense? <laughs> oh, my God. I don't think anybody would have been taking those odds. I just think you would have been no. like, this is going to be a long day for the secondary. Yeah. And I give Mallette and 
Ronald Darby and the rest of the guys. Gino obviously came up with the pick. Also, by the way, on the Gino pick, I didn't realize this in real time, but Roquan looked like he got a fingertip on that. He did. Yeah. You can you when you slow that down, the ball's trajectory changed a little bit. It almost looked like he hit the very bottom of it. Yeah. And kind of floated it up a little bit more. He definitely got a finger on that. Yeah. He just kind of alley ooped it to uh, Gino, who brought it down. Exactly. Yeah. I thought Roquan was really good. He had he had the lowest pro football focus grade of anyone on on the defense. This is one of those examples where you. You have that puzzled look on your face <laughs> looking at the PFF grades. You're like, what are you guys seeing here? Yeah, I, I, that one-handed catch would be a pretty high grade, and then you force another interception or play a big part in another interception. Exactly. Well, and Tua said he specifically had to get that. He was trying to get that throw over Roquan. Yeah. That's what made it a high throw to begin with was yeah. Roquan's drop. Yeah. So, yeah, you have a big part in two interceptions. You, you get a you deserve <laughs> at pretty, least a, a B, right? Pretty Not good. an F. Yeah, pretty good grade. Pretty good grades. All right, before we wrap up our film breakdown, we got to get our dog <laughs> of the week. And this is a first, Garrett. This is a first. Okay. We're going double dog. <laughs> Lamar Jackson doubling it down. How do you not give it to him after a perfect passer rating with five touchdowns? Lamar Jackson, you are our double dog <laughs> for the first time in history. Well Congrats, done, bud. Well done. Back to back for Lamar. So well done for him. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, you're listening to the Lounge Podcast. We're coming to you from the SeatGeek studio. We want to give a shout out to our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook, which is an official sports betting partner of the Baltimore Ravens. They've got a limited time offer running that you don't want to miss. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today. Use the promo code FLOCK. New customers can get a deposit bonus up to $1,000. Again, the promo code is FLOCK at DraftKings. You need to be at least 21 or older to play and physically present in Maryland. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Also, BGE is about small businesses being the backbone of Maryland's economy in partnership with the Baltimore Ravens. BGE is investing in communities across Central Maryland, helping small businesses continue to thrive. We want to highlight a small business that is thriving, so we want you also to visit www.bgenow.com to learn more. And this week's business is the Couples Tea House, which brings people together. On any given day, you will find folks sitting over a steaming pot of tea, connecting with each other. Couples Tea strives to bring the urban tea experience to Mount Vernon and Baltimore. So thanks to our friends at BG&E. And uh, this game, obviously, it's it's uh, it's going to be an interesting one for the Ravens in determining how they approach it against the Steelers. John Harbaugh said on Monday that he hadn't made any final decisions yet. That was something that he was working on here early in the week. But by Wednesday, when the Ravens start practicing, they will know, and there won't be any secrets. So we're going to get the answers here. But before we get the answers, of course, we have to speculate <laughs> about what it could be. And so, so and here, just to, just to set the in case. You, you haven't fully digested. The Ravens can't improve their stock anymore. The number one overall seat is locked up. They have home field advantage throughout the playoffs and a first round bye. So win or lose, they're going to have those things. So from a standing standpoint, this game doesn't mean anything to the Ravens. The Steelers, however, they need to win this game for a chance. They need some other things as well, but they need to win this game for a chance to get into the playoffs. So they're going to be fighting like crazy, obviously, to win mm-hmm. this game. They've got a lot on the line. The Ravens do not. That's correct. So... I do expect that the Ravens are certainly going to rest some players, and and let's go through it here. I mean, the Ravens were in this position in 2019, and they rested in the season finale in Cincinnati. So 
there is precedent here. Which, and to be honest, I don't know if that precedent indicates uh, a likeliness to do the same or a likeliness to do different. I mean, I just, I think that's part of the argument and that's part of the, the right, fear. The rest versus rust argument. Yeah, that's that's part of the concern. That even, I mean, like Patrick Ricard even said after the game, like, and he, he hopes that they play, you know, because, um, because he will be playing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that is... Um, I don't know. It, I, I, I honestly can see both sides of it. I really can. But there's, as we're going to talk about here, there's a real benefit for certain players in particular not playing. The Ravens game. are already going to have two weeks before their playoff game, even if you even if you rest these guys this week against the Steelers. So does does rust come into play then? You know, like a traditional bye week? Do you, are you rusty after a bye well, right. I think maybe you could say so, but so you're saying like the third week of rest adds rust. Yes, that would be the argument, and that's what and that's what players have said. I mean, that's what Lamar Jackson has said um, in the past. So I'll take his word for it that he feels like you get rusty with that extra week. I don't know. I don't know, but here's what I'm going to say. I don't think Lamar Jackson is playing in this game. Okay. Lamar Jackson's the MVP. He's the most valuable mm-hmm. player. And in a in a game with certainly lower stakes, I don't know that you put the family jewels on the line. Mm-hmm. That's how valuable Lamar Jackson is. Yeah. And so I expect that Tyler Huntley will get the start in this game. But the calculation here is not an easy one because it's not like the preseason where you have these 90-man rosters and you can trot out all backups. Some starters have to play in this game. The question is... Who do you sit, right? And who is the backup to the to a, a guy who's usually a starter, maybe becomes a backup mm-hmm. in case the other guy gets hurt, right? That's the question to me. So I, I think that Lamar, as I said, he's on the bench. To me, I think Ronnie Stanley, it would be ideal to rest him considering all the nagging injuries that he's had. Yeah, I think that's like, I, I think you honestly may start the conversation with Who's dealing with injuries? Like to me, that's like where it, the key players dealing with well, injuries. Sure. So the key players, Kyle Hamilton, Marlon Humphrey, uh, Kevin Zeitler, the three guys that were inactive. Right. Ron inactive. Marlon right. Humphrey wasn't inactive. And who am I missing? Who well, Brandon Stevens. And Brandon Stevens, exactly. So Stevens, Hamilton, and Zeitler were inactive because yep. of injuries last week. I expect that they'll probably continue to rest to get fully healthy. And then Marlon Humphrey went down during the game. I expect that's four right there. Right. And then you're mentioning, as you're talking about Ronnie Stanley, he's been dealing with nagging injuries. Then you have the guys like basically Ronnie, Morgan Moses, and Marcus Williams who've been da- dealing with nagging injuries all season long. Right. For To me, Daniel Falele makes sense as you get every snap at right tackle. Uh-huh. A, he's been playing about 50% of them anyway. And B, give him a whole game. You know, get see what he looks like with a whole game. I, I'm curious to see that. He's got TJ Watt. That's a good challenge for him, right? Like, this is more evaluation for next year for Valley, more experience for him for next year, potentially. And so I'm starting him over Morgan Moses. Maybe I can't make Morgan Moses inactive uh-huh. because you just, it's a numbers game. You only have six inactive but spots. But Morgan Moses is the backup to Daniel Falele if I if I'm doing it. Yeah. I would love to not play Tyler Linderbaum in this game. When I'm talking about valuable guys, he's right up there. Yeah. You the got center it. snapping the ball every every snap to Lamar Jackson. You have Sam Mustafer who you could step in and play there. Exactly. I'm starting Sam Mustafer. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting Pat McCary for Ronnie Stanley. Those are the big changes I'm making 
offensively. What about at receiver? I mean, I think it'd be I'd be a little surprised if Odell Beckham Jr. If 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 we're going with your approach here, like here's here's the thing, yeah. like. If you're if you're going, you're basically saying rest everybody. I mean, that's kind of what you're I saying. I want to rest as many people as you're, I can. You're basically saying rest everybody. Yeah, I mean, I think Odell probably Odell's a still get some snaps, but it's limited. I mean, it's Odell's a guy that's Bateman dealt with injuries. Gets more snaps. Tylen Wallace can get more snaps out there at wide receiver. Nelson Aguilar, you know, I don't know that Odell is inactive. I think he's probably active for the game because you can only have so many inactive guys. But he's in a limited role. Yeah, I mean, I for a guy that's like dealt with. You know, bumps and bruises over the course of the year. I, I would probably, if you're going with your approach, be really careful about it. Oh, 100%. But I think then, like, I, I think Aguilar, Bateman, yeah. and Tylen Wallace probably take the majority of your snaps at wide receiver. Right. And then you're, then you're basically saying on defense, it's like, okay, Queen and Roquan, like, they're as valuable as it gets on defense. So you're probably sitting them down. Yeah. I mean, right. I think defensively, well, you have the inactives, Marlon, Brandon, and Kyle Hamilton. I, I don't know that, I think, Again, Roquan and PQ probably aren't inactive, but they have a secondary role. And may, maybe these guys are starters, just whatever. They're on the field for the first series or whatever, but they play a very limited role. Well, that's a, that's the other thing that I think... You know, you have Malik Harrison. Josh Ross has been active on game days. <laughs> you could you could he call a bunch of guys up from the practice squad. Delshawn Phillips. You could call a bunch of guys up from the practice squad, which I think is likely. They're going to elevate as two guys, obviously. You're going to call... Elevate your two standard yeah. dudes. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, but Adams I, will be one of those, probably. I, I think that, like, another comparison that's different than 19 is you could go back to 2012. The Ravens, in that game, in that year, they went into the season finale against Cincinnati that season. They couldn't improve their seating at all. So, similar in that the game didn't matter from a playoff seeding standpoint, different in that they didn't have the number one seed clinched in a bye. What what they did in that game is they started Flacco and the starters for a couple of series. They started them and played a couple mm-hmm. of series. You could go that route with this group overall. You could to check the rust box. Yes, basically go through your game day routine. You're going to go out there and get a couple of series. Now, the flip side of but that is, is, is like, is it worth any, it? Is, is it worth any it? different from a third preseason game? Where that, you, exactly, where you say, well, we want to get him a little bit of action. Right. And, and John Harbaugh has been very cautious with that. Right. Especially after the J.K. Dobbins injury. I know. He said it's not worth it. You're right. It, it's, that's all part of the, the, the balance and the calculation here. And I don't, I, I honestly. I think that there are benefits both ways. I don't like I tend to agree with you that I shade more towards the conservative approach of rest guys it's just not worth it because the the potential for injury is far greater than the potential for rust, you know, and mm-hmm. the impact of that. So I I agree, but I also think that I I don't totally dismiss the rust argument. These guys are used to playing on a weekly basis. Also, and if you have a two-week gap in between games, I think that like you know, that, that it's not something to totally discount. Sure. I, I think that it's a consideration. Yeah. I, I agree with you. Um, other players on defense that I, I would like to see in limited roles, at least uh, Marcus Williams, as we mentioned yeah. with his, with his arm situation. Um, I think that Jadavion Clowney being a, a veteran, the way he is, he and Van Noy try to just get them as fresh as possible. Justin Matibike from pure importance standpoint, Michael yep. Pierce had a, suffered a stinger in this past game. Is he going to even be healthy enough to play? Uh, we'll see. But if he's out there, I'd rather give Travis Jones, uh-huh. you know, Travis has been playing well, young player, get him some more snaps. 
what I mean, he's seen plenty of snaps. You know who Travis Jones is, but Justin Matibike, I don't want playing a whole ton of snaps or Michael Pierce. And so uh, uh, to me, it's some of these starters are going to have to play because you also don't want to put 100% of the snaps on your backups. Right, like you don't want to gas or risk injury by these guys overextending themselves as key role players, key backups, like a Travis Jones. Right, I don't want Travis. You can't play Travis Jones 100 percent of the snaps, right? right? Like you risk him and getting injured, and that would be significant. I know it's, it's so like some of the starters are, you're going to have to play some of those guys. To me, it's just you almost flip it, right? Uh-huh. Like whereas if whatever the starter would take 60% of the snaps or 66% and the other guy would take 33%, well then you flip it. Right. Well 34%, sorry. Right. I'm doing your math over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um it it is all a again, I think it's a very interesting dynamic and dilemma kind of that that's part of the consideration here. Not dilemma, that's the wrong word. It's not a dilemma when you have the number it's a good 1 problem seat. To have. War, locked up in advance, and I do think that like there are lessons to be lear- be learned from 2019. But I also don't think you can just say, "Well, they rested guys in 19, then they lost the game, so that's what's going to happen if you rest guys again." I, exactly. it's, it's a that game this played is, out the way it did for a variety of different reasons, not solely because they rested guy two two weeks prior. A hundred percent, yeah. And you never can say how much was because of that, but they just didn't play well that day. Yeah, and I think this is a much better team. In, than the 2019 team. Yeah, I, I just do. And it, most of it centers around Lamar Jackson. He's a better quarterback, operating in a better scheme. The Ravens have more ways to beat their opponents offensively and defensively. The defense is better. They get more sacks. They get more turnovers. Uh, they're just more solid at every single level. And and yeah, and Lamar's the straw that stirs the drink. And yeah. he's just a better player. The guys on that 2019 team know what that sting feels like. They know they have to stay locked in. They can't expect to go out there and just just bully people and just play their style of ball and have the opponent bow down to them. That's what Lamar Jackson said. That's why he's been so locked in. That's why he barely smiled when he, <laughs> you know, basically locked up the MVP. So for all those reasons, I think the Ravens, 2023 Ravens are more poised to go further than the 2019 Ravens did. All right, a couple quick emails here. The first one is from Sarah, who says, Ryan Garrett, longtime listener since day one, but a first-time emailer. I'm currently recovering from celebrating that huge win over the Dolphins. Huge. And New Year's Eve, a Sarah, little too hard last night. <laughs> yeah. Clinching the number one seed is the best way to start 2024. This is as much as a size them up Monday as we've seen in quite some time. Also, here's a question from uh, John Stremmel who asked, now that Lamar just wrapped up his second MVP, every two-time MVP is also in the Hall of Fame. Mm, so my go. question, Size did Lamar just secure his spot in the Hall of Fame? I mean, I actually was thinking about that. If Lamar wins the Super Bowl this year and the MVP, which I think he will, definitely, and I think he will win the Super Bowl too. <gasps> Let's go. Um, then yeah, he's probably a Hall of Famer. Two-time MVP and a Super Bowl champion, you're probably a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I, I think if the Super Bowl thing happens, yeah, yes. If the Ravens win the Super Bowl, I think definitely. Even independent of that right now, I think that he's made a very strong case that he's already locked it up. Now, of course, you'll have to see how the rest of his career plays out, all this stuff. But mm-hmm. two-time MVP, as John said, all the two-time MVPs are in the Hall of Fame. So, And, he's and, so he's, just gonna keep, and he's just going right, to keep that's going. That's the crazy part is he's so young. Yeah. It's just, and the way that he's developed more as a passer, and he he was a good passer before, but the way he's developed his game sets him up for 
more success for a longer period of time, in my opinion. Yeah. So we appreciate the emails. As always, you can email us at the lounge at ravens.nfl.net. Make sure you leave a rating and a review. Hit that subscribe button. Also subscribe to the Ravens Press Pass podcast for every press conference that takes place here at the castle. We bring that to you in its entirety. So thanks for listening. We'll be back with you later this week. Thank you.